You are listening to Get Real Podcast. Hey, this is Jared from I Am The Pen Dragon, and this is our brand new single, The Flood.
welcome to the Get Real Podcast. We are excited about having you on. Where is I Am the Pendragon from? We are out of Omaha, Nebraska. And how long have you guys been together? Uh, the band itself, this project, was started back in 2010. So we are uh, 10 years old. Uh, I am the only original member in the band. Uh, I started the band, and over the years, I had a lot of uh, different guys that have kind of come through and helped out at different points. Uh, but right now, uh, Dave, our drummer, has been with us for about four, four and a half years. And then uh, Daryl, our lead guitarist, he stepped in about two years ago now. And Moose, our bassist, uh, joined with us at Audio Feed for the very first time last summer. So he's been one year. I love the creativity. This is probably the most creative interview we've had yet. I'm glad that we've moved into the field of video, Dan, because I love what's going on yeah, here. Cool. And I want to talk about this. But first, The Flood, what is that song about? What are you trying to convey to the listener through that song? Yeah, uh, The Flood is, uh, is the kind of intro track. There's going to be a little bit of a prelude on there, but it's the intro track for what's going to be our new album. And uh, it's really setting the stage. We are a concept band. And so it's not just like one concept album all telling one story. It's every album that we have, this will be our third, is all telling one consistent story. And uh, so it, it's pulling everybody right in. It's about basically the start of a war. Uh, and we're a sci-fi Western end of the world kind of story. And so it's this war of uh, the bad guys that are kind of in power and this uh, remnant group that's starting to grow. Uh, they're called the Righteous Outlaws, and they're starting to grow and uh, people are beginning to follow them. And so the bad guys, uh, the authority people, they're, they're starting to build these machines to just stomp everybody out. Uh, they're, they're going, their goal is actually world destruction. It's not even world domination, but they're, they had to build slowly to that point and they've got tons of people following him just totally bought in. And, uh, now they're at a point where they can just start unleashing, you know, hell on the world. And they're doing it with these machines called Titans. Uh, and so the flood is just introducing this part of the story. It's uh, setting up the good guys, the bad guys, some of the motivations and uh, and really getting people who haven't ever heard about us, don't know what the story is. Uh, they can hear the song and just like, man, this is a great rock anthem kind of a song. Like this is a battle song and there's tons of songs out there like that. And then for anybody who is interested in going deeper in the story, this is a setup place. If they haven't heard everything that happened before, they're going to, very quickly realize what's going on, who these characters kind of are and uh, be able to follow in from there. That is so cool. I love the creativity. I do. I do. Dan and I have this question. We were asking this and kind of looking at each other before we started. What is a Pendragon? (laughs) Yeah. So uh, the word Pendragon is actually like an old English type word. Uh, It was used in the Arthurian myths. Uh, So, yeah. Uh, King Arthur uh, was Arthur Pendragon's father, Uther Pendragon. And uh, it's like this line of nobil- nobility and leadership, uh, just a descendant authority. Uh, and so I actually got that. I, I wasn't huge in like old English 
uh, mythos and stuff. But one of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis. And uh, he has this trilogy uh, out of the silent planet, Paralandra, and um, that hideous strength. And I was reading that hideous strength uh, over a decade ago. And it gets to this point where these characters are going back and forth. And it's literally Merlin who's been resurrected. And he's testing to see if this is really the leader that he's supposed to follow. Because Merlin only follows one guy. And so he asks him these questions. And uh, the last one is basically like, who is the pen dragon in the last days? And where did he learn the art of war? And he answers it in like this really weird thing. He says, you know, and it was in the rings of Lurga that I learned the art of war. I am the pen dragon. And I read that over a decade ago. And I remember like, as soon as I, I I mean, I'm a huge nerd. So (laughs) I'm reading this book and I was like, Ooh, that was so tough. (laughs) (laughs) And I like set the book down and I was like, man, I got chills reading it. And I was like, that would be a really cool band name. I am the pen dragon. And from there, it was like almost instantaneously. I was like, that'd be a really sweet band name. And then all of a sudden this story completely separate from the CS Lewis stuff, completely separate from the Arthur stuff. But this entirely new story started coming in my brain. Like, almost immediately and i just grabbed a notebook and started writing stuff down and uh and so i've had this this story in my head for over the last 10 years and it i had like the beginning middle and end all planned out and knew where it was going from the very first song but there's been lots of different sidetracks in between and as i'm writing like different characters different things will just kind of come up and like well that's cool and, and it's more like discovery than trying to, you know, create a story myself. It's like I, I'm just the first person that gets to hear these songs or the first person that gets to learn about these characters. And I'm just more writing it down in like inspiration rather than like working to try to put it all together. So <laughs> I love that. That's so epic because it's one thing you could write a song to try to create a mood. You're writing music. You're creating a whole world. Yeah. It's like, I love that, man. That's awesome. Uh, thanks. Thank you. Tell us about your character, the Pendragon. Who is he and yeah. what is his adventure? <laughs> so uh, so that's a, a weird kind of place to go. Uh, not in the interview, obviously, but I mean, <laughs> as far as the, the story and, and myself goes, because I when I'm on stage, I'm like an actor portraying this character. And so uh, it's not like Jared is the pen dragon. It's this this character in the story is representative really of the the end times church. And so uh, it it's that's that was also early on why I adopted the mask uh, and brought that. I was like, yeah, this character's a hero, like superhero kind of character. But also I was like, this can't be jared's story all about himself i was like it in the future maybe god takes me somewhere else and the band can still go on without me anybody can pick up this mask and and move forward with the band and so uh so it was never intended to be me as the pen dragon uh that being said this character uh he's somebody that grew up in the the capital city of xenia and he his father was uh, this lead general and 
was one of the highest second in command in the, the whole um, the whole empire right under the emperor and he dies and he actually finds out that he is an adopted son and he he's kind of known it his whole life but it was made aware and all of that a little bit later and it's not his real dad he always had this separation from his dad and didn't really fit in didn't really connect and so rather than going into the military he follows into the the priesthood and the priesthood is a weird very humanist type of priesthood they're not worshiping any deity they are like almost unitarian universalism like we're all uh you know gods ourselves we're all you know have this deific type of personality and we can all do these things and so it's a very human centric priesthood that he's entering into and as he's taking these steps and going deeper into it he just keeps having these things that are coming up that are saying this isn't true this isn't real and then he starts having these um, prophetic dreams of fire and destruction and uh, shadows and he doesn't know what's going on but he starts to see things and he's getting very paranoid and then he finds like as he's archiving working in the the library he finds a book and the book is really what sets him off on his hero's journey uh where it it tells a completely different history of their world and even some of the the things that he has heard about are are completely opposite and the people that he has grown up to think were like the heroes and the leaders uh he's finding out that there's something very um disingenuine and he doesn't know how far up it goes he doesn't know like everybody is really in love with the emperor like he's a really good dude but the people around the emperor maybe they're the ones that are not to be trusted and so he he walks away from everything he walks away from the priesthood from his mother from his fiance and he goes off into the wilderness uh to try to find out if what he's reading in this book is true and so that's that's the origin of this character who becomes the pen dragon uncovering those truths sounds like sci-fi but it's really not (laughs) the more that dan and i the more that we've been pursuing the lord and that we've been pursuing scripture the more we realize that the world around us is not what we've been told that it's been Mm -hmm. You know, we talk about lies, we talk about the web of lies, we talk about conspiracies, we talk about all that stuff, because really what's happened in our world, man has done things to distort the glory of God in the world, to distort history, to get God out of it, to mm-hmm. make God seem to be irrelevant, you know, going to the, hey, we all descended from apes. Yeah. That's, that's That's not true, you know, and a lot of people believe that. In your walk with the Lord, Jared, has there been anything in particular as you've pursued him that you're like, oh, wow, what I was told was not true? (laughs) And how did that affect you? (laughs) You know, that is a, yeah. Let's get real, brother. Let's get real. Come on, lay it down. (laughs) Huge. So, so, uh, I, I grew up, uh, Pentecostal in the Assemblies of God church and I, I was a Royal Ranger growing up and I was uh, actually started in youth ministry at 12, 13 years old. And I really got hooked into this youth ministry. And I actually started leading at uh, 16, 15, 16 years old. And I had students under me that were older than me that had already graduated 
and I'm like a kid, but I, I was just like so committed. And, uh, I, I used to just study the Bible and I, I would read, you know, end times prophecy stuff and nerd out with it with my friends at 13, 14 years old. Like that's the kind of kid I was, I was just weird. And, but I loved just getting deep into theology, into, uh, the Bible and just studying for myself. And so I was, I was wholly committed to this and I, I ended up, um, becoming like I was the leader, uh, by the time I was 19, I was leading over all of our church's small groups and we weren't a small church. Uh, the church was around two to 4,000, depending on y- which year you hit us. Uh, our youth ministry was at times up to over 400 kids weekly. And so I'm leading all of the small groups, the the home groups that would meet every week outside of our regular Sunday and Wednesday night services. And I'm overseeing all of these leaders and developing stuff for them. And eventually I came on staff and uh, was paid for this position and took over other roles as well. And so I was fully committed to everything that we were doing. And I was, I was so committed. Like I used to butt heads in the office. Uh, she's one of my best friends. She's like, she's like a sister to me, but we butted heads all the time because I was like, if this is what we're supposed to be doing, then cost shouldn't be an issue. Like if, if the way that we draw people to church is by making this thing the most, uh, fun, the most exciting, uh, having like the best t-shirts, the best band, the best lighting and all of that stuff. If that's what, what we are doing, then we don't pull out any of the stuff. Like we're just going full on with it. And we have a budget. We have a really good budget that is like for our youth ministry, what a lot of small churches would have for their entire annual budget for the church. And so I was like, we're not wrestling with those things. So let's just do everything with excellence. That was a huge thing back then. You know, everything needs to be done in excellence. And she was like, no, that's way too much money for a t-shirt. <laughs> she just shut me down. And so we'd butt heads about it. But uh, I was I was that full on just committed to everything that we were doing because I was like, this is what the church is. This is what it's supposed to look like. And this is how we are going to share the love of God with the world. This is how we are going to bring people to Christ they're not going to want to come to some lame, boring church service. We got to make everything cool and exciting and fun and all that. I was fully on board with it. And what being a Pentecostal church, we're also uh, very, you know, into like the gifts of the spirit and all that stuff. Uh, the charismatic gifts, uh, healing and prophecy and all of that. And so I was really just headlong into this stuff, but it was on those charismatic gifts that I started to, have some areas where I was wrestling and it was, it wasn't that I ever got to a point where I was like, I don't believe God heals or anything like that. I never became a cessationist, but I, I was like, maybe we're not, maybe we're not reading these verses properly. Like maybe the way that we say that God heals and like all it takes is this and all you just got to keep believing and, you know, sow a seed and all that kind of stuff. I was like, I'm not seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just kept going back to the Bible. And then this is like, I'm on staff at the church now and I'm going to my leaders and we're bringing in speakers uh, from a very prominent 
uh, charismatic church. Uh, if I said the name, everybody would know the name. I'm not going to because I'm not trying to blast people. But uh, we were bringing groups in from there regularly to come and do healing crusade weekends or uh, prophetic conferences and stuff like that. And I had a I had students that uh, one of my guys who was one of my personal students in my group that came to my apartment every week, uh, he ended up in the hospital the same week that my wife and I were having our first child. And he was just right down the hall needing a heart transplant. And with like for years, like he got the transplant, but he was never able to to get back to full mobility and uh, for years, he struggled with a lot of stuff. He was bedridden for a while and, and it was really hard and I'd go and visit him and stuff. And everybody was like, he's going to be healed. He's going to be healed. He's going to be healed. And then we would bring these people in and he's sitting, you know, right up in front where, you know, the wheelchair access is he's right there. And they're like, is anybody out there hurting? Is anybody out there, uh, dealing with any issues? I'm like clearly that kid is. And they're like anybody. And then they, you know, I feel like somebody out there, their, their finger, uh, they bent it wrong and it's just been bothering them. And so we're going to pray for that finger. And who is that? Somebody out there. And I'm like, but I mean, this kid right here, right here, you know, and they always passed over him. And so we would all pray for him and we'd gather around him and pray for him. And, you know, all this, all the things that we were supposed to do. And he's not, he's never been fully healed. Uh, he still has to deal with a lot of the, the issues from this virus that he got where he went from he was playing at a fine arts uh, conference uh, where they started like a youth worship band. He went playing guitar that weekend, not feeling great, and he left early. And so he left earlier on Sunday, came back. They went straight to the hospital. And from that point forward, he's never been a like he was before. And so I'm wrestling with this. I'm wrestling with all of these false prophecies that, you know, the church had gotten from different people that never came true. And I was like, where are we missing it? Like, I don't believe that these things just don't happen, but I, I, there's gotta be something either. It's all not true, which I'm not like I've seen way too much. Like I've experienced God in my life in very tangible ways. And so I can't just write all of this off as experiential or anything like that. And, and you know, apologetics, like I'm, I'm real big into apologetics. I was like, just on a logic basis, I can't write God off in that way. I can't write Jesus off. So that means it has to be on my, my side, on our side, that we are not getting some things right. And so, uh, so long story short, uh, or shorter, <laughs> I, uh, I ended up resigning from the church that I, I w was working for years to become a pastor at. And they, they got to a point where they're offering me three different churches all offered me full-time youth pastor. Well, two churches offered me full-time youth pastor position. And then the church I was working at, uh, we had a youth pastor, a full-time youth pastor. So they offered me a full-time production manager position. And I turned them all down. And I had to walk away from it. And then about six months later, I resigned from my position at the church because I felt like I was talking to my wife and I was like, none of these are, are right. She was like, it's definitely not right. These aren't where God's calling us. 
And I was like, well, what do you think I should do? And she was like, well, you know, I know you'd be a great pastor and you've been doing this stuff for a long time, but I've always felt like at some point you would go back and do music. And I've always felt like that was your calling. I was like, that's a terrible idea. We're, she's pregnant with our third son at this point. And I was like, that's a bad idea, babe. What's wrong with you? I went and talked to my pastor, the youth pastor that I'm working directly with. And I was like, this is kind of what we're thinking. And he's like, that's awesome. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, quit your job. I was like, that's a dumb idea. Why is nobody stopping me? Went and talked to our head pastor. And he was like, he's very reserved about it. He's like, you know, I can't, I can't confirm for you that God is telling you to quit your job and go play in a rock band. But I do know that you know God and that you you know his voice. And so if you if you feel like he's leading you and your wife feels like this is what he's saying, then you need to do it. And I was like, oh, geez. So, <laughs> so I ended up leaving my job that I had been pursuing for years. We were right on the cusp of that security that comes with a full-time job and health benefits and all that kind of stuff and a third kid on the way and left and started doing the music. And then it was about two years after that, roughly two years after that, that I, I was just continuing to wrestle through all of those same things. The theological issues were uh, even the way that we took communion. I was like, you know, in the Bible, when people took communion in a way that was not honoring what it was, then they died. Like, that's a pretty serious thing. And we're like, hey, you know, we're just going to pass out some really stale bread and some grape juice and a tiny cup. And just take it. We're going to play a song and take it whenever you feel like it. And I was like that communion, like literally in the name means that we're supposed to be unifying together. And in Old Testament covenant, uh, they actually would like eat the bread or drink the cup. And it was like they would drink from the same cup. They would break from the same bread. And it meant something. And that's what Jesus did at the table. He broke the bread and shared it with all of them. They all drank from the same cup, meaning signifying like we are one. And I was like, and we're just going to, you know, each take our own as the song is playing and, and little things like that, that just kept stacking up. And so it was two years ago now that, um, I, I ended up stepping away from the church that I had grown up in the church I'd served in and been on staff at. We completely stepped out and now we are, uh, I am, a pastor of a house church. And so actually there's a few of them are starting to come to the house now, but we meet on Sundays and uh, we, we break bread together. We share meal together. We worship, we study scripture. Uh, they're able to ask questions. I'm not like on a pedestal and like preaching at them. Like we're able to dig into the word and study scripture and hold each other accountable and we actually have relationships with each other. Coming from a huge church, uh, it was difficult. Like one of the things that I talked about with the pastors when I decided to completely step away from the church, I was like, I was on staff. Like, yeah, there are like three, 4,000 people in the church. But there's about 40 of us on staff. And if we can't even be in each other's lives, how how are we ever going to be in the lives of anybody outside? Like it's supposed to be this trickle down thing. And we're not even, we're not even connecting. I was like, you don't know anything about me other than like the little bit of stuff that we say in the office. And I've invited you to like life events because I want you guys there and you don't show up. 
and oh yeah i was tired or oh yeah i'm just not real big like my wedding you know or like <laughs> the the first time i got a uh a house i was the first person in my family to be able to to buy a house i i don't have a dad he was gone before i was born and we grew up in poverty and homelessness and all that and so when when i was able to get my first home it was a huge deal and i told them i was like this is a really big deal and i really want you guys to be there when we have like the housewarming and like you don't have to buy anything it's not about that we just want to celebrate with everyone and not a single pastor that i worked with for all of these years showed up and i was like and and we're the ones that are leading this thing i was like all these all these thousands of people and they're like well we can't be at everybody's thing i was like yeah but we're not we're not everybody this is the small group we're the core here and we're not even in each other's lives how is this ever going i was like this is what's being discipled this is what's being multiplied and that's not the church and so so yes to answer your question <laughs> uh some very big things in life uh of just studying the word of god and recognizing like this model these things that i i had fully invested myself in weren't true to scripture and the, the weird thing about me again is once i recognized that i couldn't let it go i couldn't brush it off and put it in in the back of my mind i was like now this is an issue of disobedience for me now this is something that if i don't respond here then i am in sin like before i knew before i studied this stuff out i i was like a hundred percent committed and now that I, I know a little bit more, I'm 100% in that direction. And I, I've kind of had to hold even like theological principles and stuff like that with a, with a very open hand of not that, you know, oh, maybe God is bigger than the Bible or maybe there's a thousand gods or any of that kind of stuff. Like holding extremely tight to scripture and holding everything else open. Like this is truth. Let God be true and uh, every man a liar. And so that that's really a, a snippet of the last decade of my life. <laughs> it really resonates. I can tell Glenn. We've Glenn been are... through the same the same <laughs> roller coaster ride. And yeah. what you're saying about the home church and people returning to that, we're really seeing that with these church shutdowns as a result mm. of the pandemic. And I think God is really pushing people to go in that direction that you're going in. Because you know, I appreciate the church that I've gone to. I appreciate the word on Sunday because it gets me out of my head. But I've always found the life groups and those get togethers very disingenuous. Mm. It's like, hey, you know, let's get together. And you know, I, I was never interested in that. And it really doesn't <laughs> do much. You don't see them going out on fire, doing great things for the Lord. It's always, I guess, they regurgitate what they heard on Sunday and then go back to get fed again and get fat on Sunday again. But there's really not been a connection between people. And for Dan and I, we we at one time pastored. We did that. And we have found we've had more impact and more ability to touch people's lives through what we're doing here through this than we did while we were pastoring because it came became so cloistered in and mm -hmm. you, you, we weren't really going out and doing much. Well, yeah. I really do appreciate the uh, what it sounds like to be your purity of heart, to be able to <laughs> kind of look at it and go, if this is not the real deal, there's not, uh, if I'm looking, oh, I have a 401k plan, but 
what you had in your heart was louder than benefits. It was louder than stability. Your wife sounds like a legend, by the way. Oh, man. Yeah. To be able to have children <laughs> no come in and be Hey, like, honey, go out and yeah. rock. <laughs> go rock. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, compliments. Absolutely. That, that sounds like very based uh, faith. And there's so many people that are in leadership, I think, in churches that maybe their conscience rises up and they're like, this is kind of weird. You know, we're kind of, um, oh, yeah, let's see some sign and, sun, signs and wonders. And we're like, man, all these like five people in wheelchairs and nothing ever happens. And I'm like, I'm right there with you. God does what he wants to do. God mm -hmm. may do something in China that he doesn't do in Tennessee or Nebraska or wherever like that right now. I don't know, but I'm not into sitting there beating people over the head saying you should have held your mouth right. You should have tied more. You should have done some weird thing. It always seems to put this sinew, this connection in between my own performance and God. And for me, over the last several years of getting out of doctrinal weirdness based off principle in a similar way, I was cutting those cords of going like, yeah. you know what? At a point, God is sovereign. At a point, mm. we all have to wrestle with death and want and, and suffering and these major questions that the people that aren't saved they're looking at it going like, I'm afraid. And we have to look at it and go like, look, none of this stuff, it's a brutal world, you know? And you can sit there and go like, hey, send me money. And this is an extreme. This is not mm -hmm. what you were describing. But hey, send me money so that um, there'd be a good chance for you to get out of that wheelchair. Because you didn't have enough faith. You got to apply your faith. And it's like, how many people in their inside feel that discomfort of going, I don't know if I'm okay with this, but looking at getting rid of the stable employment, being on staff, how many years have I wanted to do this, of giving it all away based off going like, no, man, I got to follow what I know is right before God. Mm -hmm. And if that's an open-ended, scary mystery of me going, I don't know when or why God heals and when does he interrupt the causal nexus of what's going on in this world and performs a miracle? I believe in miracles. But mm -hmm. it's at the same time, I'm like, I, God, you are more mysterious. You are more baffling. You are shrouded in mystery. It is indeed a, a glass darkly that we peer through. You know, I get it. I resonate, man, with, with everything that you're saying. And I have a respect. I mean, we just met via whatever this, the miracle <laughs> yeah. of the internet. But it's like, I, I, I really dig what you're doing. I, yeah. I do, man. Yeah. Uh, thank you. I have experienced miraculous healing, but it would not occur in the way that the charismatic or the Pentecostal movement would say that it should have happened. Mm. I'm a brain tumor survivor. I had a pituitary tumor. It was removed. It wrecked all my hormones. Part of the pituitary was dead. And I had a condition afterwards that they said would never fix itself. It would not correct. So I was on hormone medications, which was horrible. And there were two hormones in particular that were completely knocked out of kilter. And then I, th I think it was about three years after I had had the surgery and they said that I was in a very horrible car wreck where my Jeep flipped three times, landed on a sidewalk, fortunately, and I was able to get out with my kids. And after that, everything started working again. Oh, wow. So, wow. yeah, that, you know, I was not at a healing service. I was not at a, um, you know, prophetic convention or anything like that. That circumstance that occurred that you would think was tragic or could be tragic turned into my pituitary kicking back in oh, again. Wow. 
And when I had gone back to see my endocrinologist, she was like, this is a miracle. This does not happen. She said, yeah, I can't explain this because this was not supposed to happen. And I'm just like, yep, that's my God. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, you know what? You know what? Incredible. All three of us, I think we are. We're whack the costals. <laughs> I don't know. God does what he wants to do straight up. And if he wants to flip your Jeep and hit, heal you, right? Yeah. He's going to do that. And you know oh, what? Man. Sometimes people may go front and they're like, man, I want to see a sign and a wonder. Uh, sometimes he kills people. Yeah. yeah, he does. <laughs> we don't know yes. what he does. It's about his glory. It's way weirder than what we give it credit for. Plus, I needed a new Jeep at the time. You did? I oh, really yeah. did. And I and Dan hooked me up at the time with yeah. a, a great new Jeep because he was selling cars. It was totally, totally awesome. <laughs> Whack the cost. Nice. So, nice. Jared, looking at what you do, yeah, I would say that you like comic books and graphic novels. Well, am, am I <laughs> a skew in that at all? Or, you know? No, no. Uh, one of my... I, I don't have like a prized possession, uh, but one of the things that I just think is super cool is uh, a buddy of mine. Actually, he used to play bass in the band. He took me for my birthday to the Chicagoland Comic Con, and I actually got to meet Stan Lee and oh. have him autograph uh, this uh, compilation of all of the, the Stan Lee meets where he written himself or people had written him into the comics. Uh, and I, I got him to autograph it, shake his hand and stuff. So that was really cool. I've been a huge comic book nerd my whole life, um, as far back as I can remember. Uh, my number one is Batman. I oh, love yeah. Batman. Yeah. Uh, I loved, and, and it's crazy because I didn't recognize how specific I was about this stuff until I was an adult. But uh, I, I loved the 90s X-Men. And I love the cartoon. It was cool. Like those were great cartoons, and I was a kid. But uh, I I really loved the comics because the art was so awesome. And then uh, shortly after that run kind of completed, there was this new group, uh, a new comic book um, company called Image Comics, and it was founded by a bunch of artists. And I loved their stuff. And they were putting out just incredible artwork. The stories and stuff were uh, at times risque. So I had to, I, even as like a young kid, I was like, mm, this is not a good one for me to read. <laughs> and so I'd, I'd put it back. But there, there were a few that I could follow. And I was like, man, these are so cool. And then later on, uh, when I was probably 16, 17, there was uh, a line that came out of Batman once. And a lot of people look at this particular run of Batman comics as like one of the top runs of comic books of all time. It's called hush. And the, the story is excellent. It, it encompasses just about every Batman villain, but the artwork is incredible. It was some of the, the most amazing artwork that I had ever seen. And so, so I, I bought those, I bought the single issues. And then when they brought it out in the big like compendium all together, I bought that. And then I bought when they put it out as like the black and white with just the pencil lines, I bought that. I, I was like, man, this is excellent. And then it was, it was about the time when that first uh, Batman hush came out. I was like, who is this artist? It's like, this guy is one of the best I've ever seen. I haven't seen stuff like this since nineties X-Men and his name's Jim Lee. Not related to Stanley. He's an Asian dude. But uh, <laughs> he, his name's Jim Lee. And I was like, 
I, I recognized, I was like, the way that he draws eyes, I was like, it's got to be the same dude. And I went back, and it's the same artist that I loved as a kid oh, wow. doing the 90s stuff. And the same artist that left Marvel to do Image Comics. He was one of the initial artists that started Image. And the one, the one or two that I actually was able to follow in Image were ones that he started and was the lead artist. And I was like, so clearly I have a favorite artist that I didn't realize, but I just, I followed his stuff without realizing it was the same guy over and over in all these mm. different companies. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm a huge comic book fan. Uh, sadly, the DC movies have not been as strong. <laughs> I, I have reserved hope for what the Batman is going to do. I saw the trailer on it and it was like, Oh, I hope it's good. <laughs> uh, I, I was not a fan of uh, Justice League at all. And and I felt bad because I love, he's my favorite. He's my favorite dude. But like when we leave the theater and what, like I saw Wonder Woman and everybody was like, oh man, this is amazing. This is the best DC movie that's ever been made. And I was like, that's a true statement. Um but that's not saying a whole lot barring the Christopher Nolan movies. I mean, th those were that trilogy is completely on its own class. Uh, those were amazing. But the, the DCU movies is like, Oh man, this is the best one. I was like, yeah, but it was also terrible. So yes, it's the best, but it's not a great movie. The villain wasn't strong enough. They didn't do this. They didn't build the characters well enough. Uh, but yay, it's the best that we've gotten. And it felt a lot like when I watched some Christian movies and they're like, see, yeah. see this one. It's, it's not that bad, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. it's also not very good. Yeah. So, yeah. What's the bar, what's the right bar on that? I can't I'm right do there it. with you. Like if I see the passion or faith, like potatoes, or there's a couple of them that I'm yeah. like, yeah, this is really good. And then most of them mm. I'm like, why do Christian movies have to be so horrible? Yeah. Just mm. being honest. Yeah. Really? You it's, know what? It's hard. I, I wanted to ask you and, um, Glenn's got great notes. This is no notes. No, that's so, fine. That's just uh... Uh, when it comes to uh, throw them out. It's it's a bold endeavor to create that whole world. You're communicating mm -hmm. serious themes, serious logos. Um, that that hero's journey. These these real applicable things in in your art. I bet it's really enjoyable when the bold endeavor of putting that world there that not everybody's going to get, right? Some people are going to see the mask, the characters, the theatrics, the... the, the comic books. The comic books. And they're going to be like, uh, they, they, they can't get it. But there's some people that are going to like enter into that world. How much fun oh, yeah. is it for you when you actually see a fan get it? They get yeah. the art. They <laughs> get the anointing behind even what you're trying to communicate. And you speak to those people in a more profound way than they could imagine. Yeah. You know, it's oh, it's man. hard to have a conversation that would transmit the same sort of thing as like, hey, I'm creating a world here. D do you get it? You get what I'm mm -hmm. saying? And God speaks to them through a world and uses you as creating that. That's very interesting. Mm -hmm. How does that feel for you when a fan gets it? Yeah, yeah. Uh See, we're as, we've been along around for a while. We've been around for ten years. Uh, we only have two albums that are officially out, like on Spotify stuff. The first one, I did everything in my basement. I I did every instrument. I wrote all the songs, uh, and I I had played with different guys. And so there were a few that I uh, kind of like. I gave them a song and was like, "You're an awesome guitarist. Come up with a great lick." And so I kind of was able to use some of the stuff that they had co-written on it. 
Uh, but it, I ended up being the only one recording anything for that first album. And it definitely sounds like I made it in my basement when I go back and look at it or listen to it. Uh, but that being said, like there, there haven't been a ton of people that have gone that far with it. There's only been a handful of them, but when they come out, uh, man, it is so cool. Uh, it's like, I I'm used to giving like the pat answers of like, Oh, what's the deal with the mask? It's like, ah, it's a concept band. We're telling a story like, Oh, that's neat. Like, you know, it usually goes about that far. They're like, Oh, tell me a little bit about it. That kind of stuff. And those are always enjoyable. I, I love talking to everybody that, that comes out to our shows. And then there's some people that are just like, Oh man. Yeah. That's just like this. And they'll, they'll like, Oh no, I totally see that. That's awesome. Or, uh, just weird connections. And when that happens, uh, it's like, it's, it's so fun. Like it goes from a point of like, I'm on mission. And you know, when I go out, we, we play 98%, I would say secular venues, uh, where we very rarely are playing like Christian, uh, we have played like one or maybe two churches. Uh, we, well, yeah, two churches, uh, we have done one youth group, uh, like camp thing. And then we did audio feed, which at the time was pseudo Christian. And I think this year they were planning to just move fully away from that altogether. But, uh, but other than that, we really haven't been too immersed in the Christian scene. Uh, and so when we go out and we're playing in these bars and these clubs, you, you, I'm very focused and I, I'm like, we're here on a mission. We pray before every set. We pray right on stage and we get the weird looks. Uh, one of the last shows that we did play before everything shut down was actually in the basement of a strip club. That was weird. That was so weird. Uh, and it was another situation where I was like, no, we're definitely not going to take that show. I, I got contacted by a promoter and he was like, I've got a venue and I really want to bring you guys out. Been following you for a little bit. And so he gave me the name, went back and looked it up. And I was like, walked over, back over to him. I was like, you know, we're a Christian band, right? <laughs> He's like, oh, I, I know all about you guys. Yeah, but I, I think you put on a good show and you bring people out. And I was like, that is a bad idea. He's like, well, you know, the thing about it, talk to the band, get back to me. I talked to the band, talked to our, our label owner, talked to uh, my co-pastor and my wife. And again, it was one of those things where I'm looking for the no. I'm like, guys, this is a bad idea, right? And everybody just keeps saying, this is, nah, this is what God tends to do in your life, isn't it? I'm like, yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm very used to going into those types of situations where we, we start out with uh, people either apathetic towards us or in a situation like that, people that didn't even want us on stage. Uh, the other bands that we were playing with that night, a band that they wanted dropped out. And so we got thrown on that stage last minute. And we also got the prime slot for the night. We were like third, oh, wow. third of four. Uh, we weren't the openers. We weren't the dead last closers. We were that third slot. That's prime time. And they were mad. They were so mad that oh, really. And, you know, I, I saw a few posts on Facebook from people that are like, oh, you know, kind of cussing about us and stuff like oh i heard they're just a christian band oh this will be hilarious that kind of stuff and so i'm used to getting up there with that and then so quickly like we we start playing the music and seeing a crowd shift yeah and then people coming up afterwards 
And, and, but the whole time it's missions mode. Like I've been on a lot of mission trips around the world. And, and I, I just have this thing where it's like my mind right now, I am dead focused on the task at hand. And when somebody comes up and is like just so bought in, it totally throws me off. Cause huh. I'm like, wait, what? You, you get it? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh man, like I don't have to explain it. That is like, so what? funny. That is so funny, man. Well, you know, oh, yeah. I, I really think that Christians of all people ought to be somewhat fearless and super, super creative. Yeah. The the thing that I really that gives me kind of a nauseating reaction is when I see that Christian bands or Christian praise bands, it's like they become I mean, it's like a cliche. Yeah, it it, is. The, the the skinny jeans, the coffee, the, the formula, thing, the the certain pedals, the the exact same music. Let's sound like Coldplay or like whoever like this, and they do the same thing. It's all safe, and it's like it's disgusting. It yeah. really is. I'm mm. not saying. I mean, you can you can praise the Lord acapella. Yeah. I mean, who cares? Use what you got. God's gonna meet you. He loves everybody. You know, He's moving on us. But at the same time, it's like. When, when a, out there in the world, somebody sees a Christian group that goes there right in the middle of everything, you're lighting the place up, you got this crazy mask on, you're doing a thing that you <laughs> yeah. thought of, it was bold, it was fearless, and that affects people. When people who see a cliche, they see somebody hiding behind fear, they want to fit in so bad they're going to copy yeah. everybody else. I love that. I find yeah. you extremely refreshing. That's cool. <laughs> Thank you. Your wife is just amazing because not only oh. did she say, hey, go do a rock band, quit your job. Hey, go play in that strip club over there. That sounds like a great idea. Oh, man. <laughs> That's yeah, that amazing. Was, I mean, we, we definitely used wisdom in that sense. Like, because, uh, I mean, just being real, like that, that was, I've never been to a strip club because uh, I honestly, the, the biggest thing that kept me from that when I was young is I was kind of a germaphobe. And I just could not get past that aspect of it. I was like, I, oh, gosh. Uh, but but I definitely had like uh, struggles with pornography mm-hmm. for a long time. And it even carried early into the marriage and, and had huge damaging effects uh, when I finally came clean about it. And there were years of just rebuilding. Uh, such and, a trap. It is a oh, trap. Oh, man. It, it was. It, and it was so difficult in those years. And so... That was like for me when we got that offer. I was like, no, no way. That's not going to do anything like that. And what she told me that night when I came home, because she knew this promoter was coming out to our show to see us. Like one of the other bands was like, hey, there's a guy coming for you. So, you know, make sure when you play, you bring it. That I was like, all right. And so uh, I, I told her about it when I came home. And she was like, how'd it go? And I was like, well, yeah. It, I mean, he really liked it. Uh, we're not going to do it. And she was like, what? Why not? And I was like, well, it's in the basement of a strip club. So I was like, and she was like, ask me a few more questions, just kind of digging it a little deeper. And she was like, I mean, isn't that, isn't that why you started the band? Like to be the light in the darkness? It doesn't get much darker than that. And I was like, yeah. Why, why you got to say those things? <laughs> <laughs> I, and, I, I have an answer to that. It's called Proverbs 31. Oh, that my goodness. the true yeah. definition yeah. of so Proverbs true. 31. So true. You, brother, you need to give thanks. Yes. Oh, every day, man. It, it, she's incredible. But, yeah, I, it was – we did use wisdom, though. I was like, if we're going to do this, he was like, it's separate from the strip club. The girls do not come downstairs. He was like, legally, we can't have, like, overlap there. Because I was like – 
if there is any chance of me or the guys, uh, I'm the youngest in the band, but I, I, I'm kind of like, I am the leader of the band. I, I don't necessarily love being that role, but I am, uh, especially cause they're all older than me. And some of them like, are you know, one of the guys is old enough to be my dad. I grew up with his daughters. So, uh, but I was like, I, I do have a responsibility to these guys too. Like, I, yeah. I don't want to take us into a place that is going to compromise any one of us. And and we're pretty open about like our stuff that we're dealing with work or, you know, difficulties in life. And so it's like, yeah, we know those things and I don't want to comp like do something, take us somewhere that's going to cause one of them to stumble. Uh, maybe right now I, I could, you know, divert my eyes or whatever, but I don't want to take that chance for me. And I definitely don't want to take that chance for anybody else. And so my wife and I, we went ahead of time to check out just to scope the, the scene. And it was a completely separate door. You had to drive around to the back to get to the, the venue. And it, w- it was a music venue. And it was actually a really nice music venue. Okay. Uh, they, they did a really great job with the setup and everything. And it was completely separate. And there is no overlap at all. Like even in the bathrooms, I've played in some clubs like bars, just regular bars, not strip joints or anything, but you, you don't go in the bathroom at these places because they got stuff all over the walls and you just don't. And it wasn't even like that. Like they did a really good job at creating two distinct things in the same building, same owner, same promoter, but they were like, there's no crossover. And, and so I was like, okay, we can do this. We can come out. And then another safeguard that I had was, uh, we brought our entire house church with us. Uh, so I was like, hey, guys, this is going to be our outreach for the month. Uh, you're all coming to the basement of a strip club with me for my rock show. And- That's a <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh, man. It was uh, it was intense. And I, I, I there was another Christian band here in town that I've kind of uh, – joined up with them they're they're really new they're they're not young but they're new christian band and trying to start uh moving to more secular venues and stuff they've played in churches and all that and they're like we just feel like we're called to kind of do what you guys are doing so i was kind of giving them some pointers and stuff and i was like hey guys you you want to come out here if you come out here with us bring your wives just you know be smart so they came out and supported us that night. And one of the things that we told everybody that came, I actually made a Facebook group of Christian uh, friends of mine. And I was like, hey, we are doing this show. And I wanted to get out before anybody else was like, oh, man, two years ago, Jared left the church and now he's playing in strip clubs. Before <laughs> any of that stuff comes out. Uh, I was like, yes, this is what we're doing. And we are on mission. Yes, it is not connected we're not going to like cross over anything like that and this is ministry and so we want people that can come out with us and join us and uh change the atmosphere of that room Uh, it's going to be full with you know bar guys and drunk guys and people that are going back and forth between the strip club and the, the music and we want to change things that night and so we we just put it out there and invited people to come out and we're like hey be praying in the background don't just huddle up in like the Christian corner, like go out and talk to people uh, and sit in the middle of people and, and introduce yourself and have fun. Go to the bar and buy sodas 
and buy food if they have food and like tip really well and just make it so that we change the atmosphere. And it was, it was phenomenal the way that everybody showed up for it. And uh, there, there were maybe about 20 or so people that came from this group that we were bringing and they just, they took it there and they were talking to people. My grandma, who is uh, one of the, uh, testimonies of our church. Uh, she was not saved until really like this year. Uh, she started coming to the house church last year and right before coronavirus stuff hit, like she's been pretty much locked up at home. Uh, but she, the last Sunday that she joined with us was like, I just want everybody to know, like, uh, I have decided to, you know, accept Jesus as my Lord. And she, just kind of walked through the gospel that we've been like reiterating every week for the last eight months. And she's like, I believe this and I, I believe this is true. And and I want to commit myself to, to Jesus. And we were like, this is awesome. And she was at that show with us. And she was like up front wearing one of our t-shirts and everybody <laughs> called her grandma pen dragon oh my, yeah there you go <laughs> leader of the my mom pit. <laughs> oh man she was like up there dancing and clapping and stuff she she's hilarious she actually used to be a truck driver and she was literally a roadie for journey oh like really journey journey <laughs> okay yeah. uh one of the really cool gifts that she gave me one time is a, a record I, I think it's escape uh and she has her backstage pass sticker on the oh that's cover of the record and i was like this is so awesome is so cool <laughs> uh so she loves she she's totally bought into all the music side of stuff but you've yeah, got a was, really was cool. cool family really cool family <laughs> very very much so so let's go from the basement of the strip club back to jared's basement <laughs> where you recorded your first album that was the 2018 album the castle of lost hope correct uh, actually, the first one was uh, the story so far. The story I, I, so far. Okay. Yeah, okay. And when was I, that? Was that twenty seventeen? I think that came out January twenty seventeen. Okay. Uh, and that one was really, it was more like a compilation of all of the Pendragon songs that I had written to that point. Uh, I had planned to do releases before that and didn't have the money, didn't have the musicians, and so this was right after I resigned my position at the church. And was like, I don't have a band. I stepped out to do music full time and I didn't have a single person that wanted to play with me. And so I was like, I just got to do it. And I was like, well, if I can at least put out an album, even if it's not the best quality in the world, but they can hear it and they can know like this is serious and get an idea for the sound and everything, but be able to hear where they can make it better. I was like, that'll be like this is step one and I was doing acoustic shows at that point just traveling around doing that kind of stuff and I re wrote and record well I I don't think I had any songs that I specifically wrote for the recording because all 16 of them were ones that had been written over the last um, seven years or so uh, before the album came out and so I just got down in my basement and I didn't know how to play guitar before I started this band. I learned how to play <laughs> because I had these songs in my head that I, I, the only instrument I was ever trained on was drums. And it was like drum line type drums. It wasn't even full kit drums. 
but I loved playing drums. I bought my own kit. And so that's like the thing that I was musically, instrumentally, that's what I was best at. I picked up bass so that I could be the fill-in bassist for the worship team. And I was like, hey, it looks like it's probably going to be the easiest one to learn. And if I can get something out, then I can kind of teach people the songs that I'm writing without really know what I'm doing. And so uh, then I picked up guitar when we didn't have a guitar player anymore. And I realized I was like, Hey, power chords are easy and they're even easier if you do drop tuning. So <laughs> I just did barred power chords and, and I could think up like interesting kind of not super intricate, but lead lines. And uh, I was like, okay, these are technically songs. And I, kind of taught myself piano playing by ear uh which really uh frustrated my wife because she took piano lessons for years and would forget like she'd drop it for a month and would just lose everything and i'm like over here playing i was like is this is this don't stop believing that i'm playing she's like shut up <laughs> <laughs> you know and I, i'm just picking it or it was faithfully is faithfully the one i was like this is faithfully like, oh that's cool uh, so I'm, yeah, in the basement and I just locked away for about two months because I had to learn the recording program. I had to learn uh, like leveling and all that stuff. And I, and, and then mastering like the whole process, did it all on my laptop in my basement and put it out. And uh, then right after, like right after I finished recording, right before I released it, I get a message on Facebook because I'd been posting stuff like looking for different musicians and I get a message on Facebook from a guy who had seen a video that I put out like two months before that. And he was like, Hey, I saw this video on the, uh, the Omaha musicians page. Are you still looking for a drummer? And I was like, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> and so I went over and that was the first time I met Dave okay. and uh, just met with him at his house. And he's somebody that when we started talking, it was like we had known each other for years and all of these weird things like he's uh, half white, half Filipino. My wife is half white, half Filipino Hawaiian. And so food, like weird food things they both have. And they're, they're both their dads are military. And so they they both had very similar upbringings. And then stylistically and musically, I'm listing off like some obscure bands that only like nerd people like and he's like oh yes he's like <laughs> and he was like what about what about this band he was like you, when i listen to your stuff it reminded me a lot of this and i was like dude i wish that i was that good but yes that's exactly what i was going for <laughs> you know and it, it, it was just like a conversation that we were like maybe it'll be 30 minutes i was over there for like two and a half hours and we were just going and we we're like dude this is awesome and it just clicked on every single level and uh, so he was actually at the launch of that first album. I went and played at a little coffee shop and uh, did a, an acoustic. Well, it wasn't even acoustic set. I played with tracks. So I had like the full guitar out and stuff. And then everything else was on tracks. And then he came out and did one song with me. That was kind of the, uh, the worship track on that first album. And it's called breathing life. And that was the first time that he ever played with me. I introduced him at the, the uh, launch of that first album. And he's pretty much been uh, with me ever since. And it's been, it's been so cool. Like how God has brought people in like that and just 
continued to to get the right people at the right time. So, yeah. <laughs> Where can our listeners go and find your music and how can they best support you? Because what you're doing is just amazing. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, let's see. You can get our music anywhere. We are on all of the streaming platforms. So Spotify, uh, Apple Music, iTunes, Amazon, uh, SoundCloud, uh, YouTube. We're, we're everywhere. Um, as far as like supporting us, uh, there are a couple things depending on how far somebody would want to do that. Uh, obviously we're not doing shows right now. Uh, I, I want to, and, and there are a few places in town that have opened up and started doing like distanced performances. And so I'm trying to get us in there, but because there are only a couple places that are doing those sorts of things, they book up so quick. So I'm working on getting a few live shows going, but in the meantime, um, we, we do have like our website and the Raven faith, uh, which is our, our label, uh, ravenfaithrecords.com where you can buy t-shirts or buy a physical copy of the album. And those, uh, do a whole lot more for us than streaming uh as far as financial goes is just getting us like month to month they give us more money but the streams uh they help to like get our name out they help get us recognized on different playlists and then as that stuff goes up uh then we're able to to go a bit further and and reach more people uh so that that's like if anybody just wants to, hey, let me throw a few bucks your way or let me just listen to your songs or put it on the background when I'm driving or something. That is one of the coolest things. Following us on social media is huge. Uh, Facebook is where I'm at most of the time. We are uh, getting back into YouTube stuff again. We just didn't have as much content to, to put out for a while. But now that we're re-entering the, uh, the release cycle, uh, there's going to be more regular content on our youtube page um and instagram and twitter we're on there i'm really bad at those man i i'm sl just slightly too old to care a whole lot about that. <laughs> i hear you <laughs> <I'm>, uh, <laughs> totally get it I, i'm not that old but man i just missed the mark it was like <laughs> why would anybody want to do that whatever so I'm, I'm there and i post stuff every once in a while but it's really not like my strength but facebook and youtube those make sense to me and i, and I do post more uh valuable stuff there uh and then if somebody really wants to like they just are totally in it uh on the raven faith site there is a uh, a fundraiser page where we're actually working to continue funding the rest of the recording um and so we're we're working out like our our budget that i initially had penned for was 8500 bucks uh but god has opened up some really awesome doors for us to where really our recording budget is going to be about half of what i expected uh, and, and that was incredible because not only was it like way cheaper than I expected, but the quality of the stuff that is coming out, uh, the people that we're working with, they understand stylistically the music that we want to do. Uh, they are rock musicians. And then we, we went the extra step and had it mastered outside. And this guy, uh, man, like I thought it was just untouchable when we got the copy back from the the studio. I was like, man, this is incredible. Let me just see this guy. He was recommended to me, see what he does. 
and he sent back the mastered copies and it my jaw just hit the floor like i could not believe this was us and so i'm so excited for the quality that we're able to put out and it's going to cost way less so that being said uh we still are trying to raise money for that and there's a bunch of like donation tiers of really cool nerdy things i was like what would i want if i was given to a band like what would interest me and so there's a bunch of just really nerdy junk on there, like T-shirts and albums, obviously. But there's, you know, FaceTime calls. There's, uh, you know, autograph stuff there. If you go to a certain level, I don't remember which one it was, but it's uh, you get a bobblehead of me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> or, cool. Like a little, a little figure of me or something. And nobody's done that yet. So, you know, I, I'm really hoping somebody does so I can justify getting a few of those made. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I was like, I want this stuff to be like fun. I want it like, even if we're making like a little bit of money to go towards this year, I want you to get a bunch of stuff back for this because I, I want people involved. I want people to, to feel like they're a part of what we're doing. It's not just like the same way I do my house church. I don't want a bunch of people like watching me up on stage and, you know, I'm giving you all the stuff and spoon feeding you. I want people to like join us. And with the flood, like I said, it's an anthem song. It, I wrote it with people in mind to be able to jump in and like do the haze with us and to not just uh, like shout along, but to to put themselves in the story and like, yeah, no, I see this kind of stuff in the real world. I wrote this song two years ago. And if you look at the lyrics to it, it looks like I'm talking about everything that's going on today right now. Yeah. Yeah. I I noticed that when I listened to it, I was like, how (laughs) relevant uh, this is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's another thing of like God just doing this stuff where it was so, so much on the nose that I questioned putting it out. Cause I was like, I don't want people to take this like I am jumping with one side of this argument or another, because that's not the battle I'm talking about. I'm talking about the spiritual battle. I'm talking about, you know, heaven and hell here and like eternity and there is a real devil there is real sin and destruction in the world and all of these things that we're seeing are just like the the fruit of just the wickedness of men and and that's that's what the the song was and i was like i don't want that to get lost and people will take this song and be like oh man i'm gonna play this at our rally i'm gonna play this at our protest i'm gonna no that's not what this is for this is for a much bigger battle. This is like these are this is trivial as crazy and huge as these problems that we're seeing are. These things are trivial compared to eternity. And I, and I wrote this stuff in the light of eternity, not in the light of the world falling down around us. I'm talking about forever. So. So, yeah. I don't even remember the question, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jared, thank you yeah, so much for spending time with us. For our listeners, we are going to be featuring Jared and I Am the Pen Dragon on our website as an artist of the month for September at lithoscry, L I T H O S C R Y dot com. Jared, again, thank you so much for joining us. This has been really awesome. So it much has. art. It this really has, has been an art, a cornucopia of art. <laughs> Today. Thank you so yeah. much. So yeah. much. Thank you, Jared. Yeah, Jared. Thank, Thank you, guys. You. For our listeners, if you got any questions for Dan and I, you can reach us at lithoscry, L-I-T-H-O-S-C-R-Y, at gmail.com. Until next time, peace out and rock on, people. Lithoscry.com.